Hello, hello, hello. I am your Gawk Wan, hostess with the most is Michael Munoz. And welcome to In Yo Mouth! In Yo Mouth. I'm the queen of food who's always in the mood to lick it right, lick it good, oh, show you how to. Oh, look. God, that's good. I want to know what you eat from the streets to the sheets. So open wide, honey. I'm coming. In Yo Mouth. <laughs> Looking for a new high-end mascara without breaking the bank? The new L'Oreal Paris Panorama Mascara gives you a high-end lash look in a premium gold luxe packaging. It's all about panoramic volume and fully fanned out lashes. With its tapered brush, the new Panorama Mascara catches every single lash, giving you the false lash look without any of the hassle. Say goodbye to clumps and flakes because this mascara is specially formulated to resist them all day with up to 24-hour wear. And the best part? It performs better than Luxe mascaras at only a fraction of the cost. You can buy Panorama Mascara on Amazon today. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Clear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey there, and welcome back, folks. Once again, I am your hostess with the most is Munoz. And how y'all doing? I am back fresh and refreshed, I should say, from my, you know, brother's trip, my siblings' trip to Mexico City. And boy, what a trip it was, y'all. The food... The food, the food is all I have to say. And I'm sure you saw it all over my Instagram. Listen, a long weekend was not enough in Mexico City, but I recommend going if you can get there. You know, um, I don't care how you get there. Just get there if you can. Who was that? Was that Bonnie Raitt or... I don't know who that was. (laughs) Wendy Ho. Um, It was someone. But um, it was a fabulous, fabulous, fabulous trip. And as we race towards the end of summer, I wish we had a few more weeks uh, in addition to the weeks that we had. And I don't care if we're in a heat wave. I mean, I do care because of the environment, so on and so forth. But like... Uh, I live for the heat. I live for the summer. I live for, you know, just um, the adventures of it all. And, and yeah, summer's been really, really good to me. And I hope it's been really, really good to y'all out there. Well, I'm just going to cut this intro short and get to the getting on because I am really, 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 really excited for today's Guest, we have another gay food celebrity, right? All of the, all of the gays, all of the LGBTQ fam off the television. All of a sudden, decided the month of August was was the time to come on in your mouth, and I'm here for it. I'm absolutely here for it. So, without further ado, please help me welcome the one, the only, Tommy Walton. Say hi. Buenos dias, darling. Good <laughs> again. Bonjour. Bonjour. <laughs> I can well, do other you know languages what? too. <laughs> yes, I, I've heard that about you. <laughs> well, I think we're done here. Thank you, Tommy Walton. This was perfect. <laughs> well, first and foremost, I can't thank you enough for giving me of your giving me time out of your busy schedule. I am so honored to have you here. Thank you, thank you, thank you for coming on my big gay food podcast. Oh, Michael, thank you so much. I'm really honored to be here today. 
I'm really excited because I think we're going to have a lot of fun today. But before we go anywhere, Tommy, I got to do what I got to do. And in the grand tradition of In Yo Mouth, I need to wish you Happy National Vanilla Custard Day. <laughs> yes. <laughs> vanilla custard. Vanilla custard. Oh, vanilla we- is my favorite flavor. Is it? Is it? It is. Well, it is really the most classical ice cream flavor, and I use vanilla every day in my coffees, cream, and my my uh, milk foam. Every day I put vanilla, so it's really yes. good for you. You know what? I am so happy that you are on the milk foam train because I too have my hazelnut milk in the morning, and mm-hmm. I throw it in like my milk foamer, and I use one of those stovetop. Um, coffee makers and Mm -hmm. so you know during during the fall which is which we are on the heels of like i'll throw some pumpkin spice in the milk foamer you know uh, yes do all the things i forgot about the vanilla i I may have good coffee yes cafe bustello yes a, a little cafe bustello actually i have been on a cuban coffee queen um kick these days. Cuban Coffee Queen is one of my favorites, and they're out of Key West. I discovered them when I was down there. Very, very Mm -hmm. delicious. You can order them online. Mm -hmm. But Vanilla Mm -hmm. Custard, Vanilla Custard, are we talking like, where in the world are you, Tommy? I'm in Chicago right now. Okay, Chicago. So in, uh, I'm sure you've been to New Jersey at least once, right? Maybe. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. In New Jersey, there's this place called Rita's Ice. And Rita's Ice is very famous for their vanilla custard. You can get, like, half custard, half, like, ice, like Italian ice. But, like, I don't see vanilla custard very much anywhere else. Are we deeming, like, vanilla custard like a panna cotta? Or is that more like a pudding? Well, panna cotta is closer to your flan, right? And But, you know... I had custard growing up in Arkansas. I was born in Little Rock, Arkansas, and grew up in Arkansas and New Orleans. And one of Uh the things that we would have to do on Saturdays uh, at Lake Pontchartrain was my grandmother would always take the ice cream maker down to the Lake Pontchartrain. And my job was to crank the ice bucket with the salt in it, and she would make vanilla custard, Peach custard was my favorite, but she made vanilla. And, you know, vanilla is the classic flavor. It's the classic flavor in South America. It's the classic flavor in down south. And to me, if you're really going to have a good custard or a good ice cream, my first choice is always going to be vanilla. Yes, yes, yes. Mmm. I love it. I love it. And you know what? Vanilla beans are not cheap by far. But I don't oh, I, I feel oh, no. I, I feel like people don't realize that they can throw it in their bottle of vodka in their house mm-hmm. and not only have and not only have vanilla to throw in desserts, but also vanilla vodka. Mm-hmm. You can also put it in a bottle of water and keep it in your refrigerator. My grandmother used to have flavored waters in the refrigerator in Arkansas oh. during the hot days of the summer, like today. Oh, come through, so Grandma, I didn't grow but with up. vanilla water. Right? She had yes. vanilla water, clove water, cinnamon water, all of these different, you know, agua frescas. And, your your uh, grandma just, was bougie, honey. Right? Bougie. <laughs> <laughs> I know, Arkansas. I live. I live. Well, you know what? No matter what you celebrate out there, whether it's vanilla custard, vanilla vodka, or or bougie vanilla water, we celebrate you on this day. And moving right along into this day in gay history, Tommy, did you know that in 1893, Mae West was born? Mae West was an American actress, singer, playwright, screenwriter, comedian, and sex symbol whose entertainment career spanned seven decades. But the most important part of this, which I love, which is a fun little tidbit, is that in 1927, she wrote a play about homosexuality called The Drag, 1927. And this uh, play alluded to the work of Carl Heinrich, and it was a box office success. 
So West was regarded talking about sex as a basic human rights issue and oh, was yes. and was also an early advocate of gay rights. Yes, she 19, was. 1927. Mm-hmm. Why yes, don't you come up fantastic. and advocate for me sometime, you know? <laughs> I believe this is the same. Uh, she was in a play that was one of the early plays that was very, very risque. And I believe that she was actually arrested in New York City, and they thought that she was female impersonator. And uh, I believe that 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 goes along with the story that you're telling. I actually saw Mae West when I was 14 years old here in Chicago at a big gay party. Really? Wow. Yes. Uh, Listen listen to that in your your mouth, listeners. We have... have, uh, Listen, Tommy is an icon, a legend, and the moment. Now, come on now. (laughs) Darling, I'm one of the founders of the gay club. (laughs) Um, uh, I went to this party, and Mae West was there with the Coquettes from San Francisco, which at Sylvester was in the Coquettes in those days. And Mae West came in on a motorcycle with the cycle sluts. Oh, my goodness. And this was like back in the day. I was 14. I was in the gay youth group in Chicago. And this was a huge party at a big ballroom. And Mae West was there. And so was Sally Rand, the fan dancer. But Mae West also had clothes designed by Elsa Schiaparelli. And Schiaparelli is like now one of the big, hot Kardashian designer, you know, one of the big French couture designers that everybody's looking at. But Mae West had clothes designed by Schiaparelli and uh, the Art Deco designer, Erte. Wow. Wow. You know... See, I'm I'm from the fashion field. (laughs) We are. We're we're literally about to get into it. But this is why I knew we were going to have a good time because you encompass and embody so many beautiful things. And and you have like the energy and the aura that like exudes all the fabulousness as well that I was like, this this is going to be the podcast of August, honey. All right. (laughs) It's you, Michael. It's just you. Come through. Come through. Here I am just giving like the kids a little bit of history. And you were like, you know what? I'm just going to add a few tags onto this. So just so you and your children know, Marjorie. Okay. <laughs> well, you know, well, I've been a fashion professor for 35 years. Well, we're we're about to get into a little bit of this. So in your mouth, listeners, if you didn't know, and I think you already do, Tommy Walton is a self-described culinary artist, fashion designer, epicurean, visionary, and monster of style. We first saw Tommy appear and shine with all the culinary prowess and personality in season six of Master Chef, where he made it pretty far, but not without his fair share of drama where he let them have it, honey. Now he's back on this season of Master Chef, back to win for his redemption and perhaps a walk down the Master Chef runway in a fabulous apron with a trophy in hand. Welcome, <laughs> welcome. And we also learned that you you are 35 years, uh, you know, as a fashion teacher, which is yeah. pretty, pretty incredible. Well, once again, thank you, thank you, thank you for being here. And usually I start a la Julie Andrews at like the very beginning of like the culinary journey, but I want to start in a different place. And you, your journey on Master Chef has has been pretty iconic. So much so that you are one of the very few out there that have a list of of iconic quotable moments. You know, from your first season <laughs> on, what made you want to come back to Master Chef? To Master back Chef, to win. yeah, back to win. Um, well, most people don't know that my husband is the one who filled out the application the first time of MasterChef season six, and I had no idea he had filled out the application, and I didn't want to do it. So um, this time, I felt like I really had to return because so many of the fans were asking me to return, and they really did want me to give it a go again, and uh, I did it for the fans. 
I love that. I love that. So how did we turn from fashion instructor, designer, style icon into culinary maven? Well, I actually did both, um, you know, genres of art, cooking and couture at the same time. While I was going to fashion design school in the 80s, I was cooking at night in all of the art galleries and museums in Chicago. And I got, you know, lots of fancy clients and A-list clientele in downtown Chicago, lots of art collectors, lots of fashionistas and international people. And I started working with the Illinois Film Office when I was a teenager and catering in an illegal food truck in downtown Chicago before I even had a license. And one day I was cooking for a, a movie and I didn't really know who was in the movie. And I was in a food truck and a lady walked up to me and she goes, who's that little boy over there cooking? What could he cook? He can't cook anything. He's a little boy. And I said, I can make jambalaya and I can make three different kinds of cornbread. And she said, oh, you can, can you? Well, why don't you bring cornbread for 40 people tomorrow? And the movie was The Blues Brothers. And I did not know that Aretha Franklin was in this movie. And the lady that asked me to bring the cornbread was Noretha Franklin, Aretha's niece. So I wound up cooking for Aretha Franklin when I was 20 years old. Aretha gave me Richard Pryor, the comedian. Mm -hmm. Then I got Della Reese, the comedian. Yes, I got um, uh, Common McRae, the jazz mm -hmm. singer. And Stocker Channing from Greece. Yes. And then from Illinois Film Office, I did Endless Love with Robert Redford as the director and Brooke Shields. I used to spoon feed her while she was having her makeup done. So I started out working uh, in the catering industry and doing parties in Chicago at the same time I was in fashion design school. Wow, that's, that's pretty incredible. Sidebar, Brooke Shields is somebody whom I love um, and have met uh, mm -hmm. on several occasions, but um, is someone's name I can never remember. I can never remember her name. Like, when I'm trying to con... I don't know what it is. There's a mental block about it. When, like, the last episode, I was talking about uh, Blue Lagoon, remember? Iconic... Uh, uh -huh. uh, iconic Brooke uh -huh. Shields movie, and um, oh, yeah. and I just can't. I never can remember her name when I need to. Oh, Michael! For some reason, Michael. Right? Ooh, Michael! Stop I know it. she's also. She's well, see, I'll never. I'll just never forget her eyebrows because they were like she had more eyebrows. She had more hair on her eyebrows than I had on I my mean, head. She's also, she's also an icon. She's also in in very many different ways, from dating Michael Jackson to oh, yeah. Blue Lagoon to her expansive career, to, like, this being an allegedly, like, the curse of Broadway. You know, like, if Brooke, Shield, if Brooke yeah. Shields goes in, you know the show is closing for some reason, you know? Yes. <laughs> Unfortunately. Pretty baby. Um, she was pretty but baby. I love, I stan a Brooke Shields moment. Also, I want to go back to something that you said, Cooking and Couture, the name of your first cookbook. Hello? <laughs> that would be a good yes, one. Yes, it would be. It, would, it be. would be, and I won't even take the full five percent. Give me two, okay? Well, well thank you're, you're, you. you. Thank you. <laughs> Very well. You know, you know, I think that food and fashion is the same thing to me. Yeah, they are both uh, things that are to me consumable, uh, just like fashion. If you make something and it's really good for the client, they will come back. They do want more, and the same thing with. Food, if you make a good pizza, people will come back for that pizza. It is consumable, and they want more. Food and fashion are both interchangeable, interdisciplinary art forms. Absolutely. And I am a practitioner of both. Um, and that's what I find most beautiful about you. But also, even at its basis, even if you want to take out, um, not even be as complex as that, hello, we all remember the meat dress. The meat dress. Yes. Right? Yes, of that course. Thing. <laughs> well, that moment. <laughs> See, I got, I got, I'm a little older than her. See, 
And I remember when Lady Gaga first wore the meat dress, my students at the Art Institute were just, you know, fascinated. But I had to pull out a picture of me at the limelight, at the limelight club here in Chicago from the 80s where I was wearing a T-bone steak bra and a skirt made out of uh, fresh kielbasa sausages at a party for Armour and Pulsed Meats in Chicago. So I know what it's like to wear a meat dress. It's cold, it's sticky, and it attracts all sorts of critters after you're dancing. Oh, oh, and not the good kinds of critters. (laughs) No, I don't think, you know, and plus, you know, the thing is, meat, once it's... um, on you and they have air conditioning on it gets cold so you have to move you have to dance <laughs> can can you imagine me doing my josephine yes Baker with a uh a, a kielbasa skirt on oh God. doing it i need i may need to see this photo i'm just i think i'll have to please, send you the video of please this. please Please, please, <laughs> I am begging, okay? <laughs> I love it. Where did the love of food come from? Oh, I'll have to say growing up at my grandmother's knee, you know, in Arkansas, we had, you know, cows, pigs, horses, chickens, geese. We had an orchard of peaches, plums, apricots, pears, uh, black walnut trees, pecan trees, and my grandmother had to take care of the garden, and part of my job was to pick up all of the fruit that had fallen off of the trees, and we would have to make apple butter, plum jam, pear preserves. We had a fig tree. I had to go and gather all the figs every day, and we would make all sorts of different things. And, you know, my grandmother made all kinds of ice creams with all of these different things. And so our summer times were busy from, you know, sun up till sundown with my grandmother peeling apples and coring Uh, peaches and doing all of this different stuff. And that was helping out. So it was kind of just natural for me uh, to, you know, to uh, become a chef. And I've just been cooking my whole life and cooking for everybody that I know. Uh, I've always feeding people at my house. Anybody that comes to my house, they never go to my fabulous living room. Everybody's always in my kitchen. And that's the, you know, the tradition in my family. All the Creole women in my family you keep that stove hot to your touch, and that man is never going to go anywhere. He's going to be at home every day. Oh, please. You know what? I can cook the house down in, in 120 square feet in Times Square. I used, to, I used to make full Thanksgiving dinners with my uh, convection oven and my two oh, electric see, I hear you. range here. Oh, I know. Uh, for 18. And I can... Listen, I can barely find a man to walk me to the corner, much less walk me down the aisle. But I'm good. But I'm good See? because I don't need See, the drama. Don't. Okay? <laughs> I don't need the Save drama. Yourself. I don't need the drama. A- amen. Listen, if you're coming into this space, you gotta you gotta be they bringing better something. Bring, they better with bring you, you gifts. Okay. <laughs> All right. Something yeah. something of value, please. Now that um, hearing your story and the way you grew up with your grandmother. And do you think the the younger generations um, have sort of lost this kind of this kind of cultural sort of I don't even know what to call it authenticity? That's the wrong word. What uh, what what word am I looking for here? This um, this deep rootedness in like in family and and doing things such as has the world evolved beyond that this wasn't even a question on the list but you just made me think about it you know if they don't know where they came from they probably won't know where they can go and you know i think that with so much entertainment nowadays uh, most people aren't really that interested Mm -hmm. in doing those old-fashioned things like you know uh, putting the ice and the salt, rock salt, in a bucket and, and, and cranking the bucket outside in the sunlight, you know. So I think that those kind of old traditions, those kind of dying art forms, that's one of the reasons that I do it and share it. And mm-hmm. I do enjoy old-fashioned home cooking, but I like to elevate it and make it, you know, super futuristic and uh, high fashion. So I think that I think I'm just a regular guy making regular food. It just looks and is framed in a fabulous way. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And y'all need to peep uh, peep the Instagram at TommyWalton.live. 
as you listen, right, to look at all the fabulous food. Uh, don't pause the podcast, though, to listen to all the <laughs> clips he has, right? You can do that afterwards. Thank do you. Do it after. Follow me uh, after. Do it honey do it after listen one of the things uh that really drew me to you and that i love is that you you live your life out loud to sound a little cliche but it's you exude you exude you right and one of the things we always talk about on this podcast which is very important um and going back to something you said right that if the parents don't ground themselves in where the kids come came from they don't know where they're going and it's part of the reason right it's one of the main reasons i do that little gay history tidbit uh-huh. right so uh-huh. we remember where we came from and we remember these little tidbits and some of them are really fun like today's and some of them are super serious and it runs the gamut but like Nobody else is like kind of trying to hold on to this history and and push it, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, to to that to that sentiment, right? Another important piece of why I do this is that our stories matter. I say it every podcast, and we because we never know who's listening and who we can affect. And um, how how did how did Tommy become uh, so confidently Tommy? Can can you talk to me about like coming out and what that was like? That's that's a good question because, you know, I really don't think I ever came out. <laughs> I, well, I think when growing up, I was very different and, you know, growing up down south and then coming to Chicago when I was five years old, Chicago became my home at the age of five. I was very different, like little kid. I was probably very, very feminine to most people that they saw. And it just never occurred to me. My family never told me I was different. My family loves me, so they never singled me out. But by the time I got to grade school, the other kids uh, pointed me out, and they let me know that I was the gay one. The other kids let me know before I had any idea And, um, but I never, ever thought, it never occurred to me to uh, conform. It never started picking out my clothes when I was seven years old. At my seventh birthday party, I refused to wear what my mother had chosen. So my mother let me pick my own clothes. My first outfit that I bought was a sailor outfit with knickers and a little hat. (laughs) And so by the time I was 12... I was, my mother was working in London, so we moved to London when I was 12, and I started wearing Fiorucci and Vivian Westwood from the store called Sex when I was 12 years old. So I think I've had um, a bit of a different experience Mm -hmm. than most people growing up in uh, sheltered environments because I was um, the child of a hairdresser uh, in 1970s London at the height of punk. And I absorbed a lot of high fashion up and down Oxford Mm -hmm. Street in London and over in Mayfair. And I was this little boy from the south side of Chicago walking amongst all of these high fashion fags and all of these queens. And I had never seen people like this before. So when I came back to Chicago, I was absolutely volcanic at 14 years old. I got sent home from school every day in my outfits and would come back the next day with full Alice Cooper makeup, (laughs) shoulder pads, platforms, and studs on all of my clothes. (laughs) Amazing. That's incredible. What an incredible journey. What an incredible journey, and thank you for sharing. You know, we don't qualify um, anybody's, like, story or coming out story on this podcast because everybody's journey is different and it's why it's why and we are who we are today you know what i mean and and i think it's important to hear all sides of the story you know every side every every corner of the painting you know what i mean and and what a fabulous one it is. Thank you for sharing. I love, I love that. And I think now is a great time for me and Tommy to take a quick break, refresh our cocktails, you know, take a look in the mirror, and we'll be back with my favorite part and your favorite part of the podcast. Delve into the shadows of the mind. 
with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. All right, Tommy, I hope you're ready for my favorite part and the audience's favorite part of the podcast. A little something we like to call Food News Update. Food News. Ooh, honey, you ain't ready, girl. Spill the tea. News Update. This hotel has an emergency champagne phone so you can get bubbly whenever you wish. <laughs> I, Ooh, I love that one. idea. Yes, right? I picked this one for you for the fashion and the, and the high-class food of it all. <laughs> I, could ch- I could check into that hotel any day. Right, all right. I, w- I wish the champagne was free, but... <laughs> I just hope it's good champagne. Well, this. I, I hope it's good champagne, not that champagne Gordon Ramsay served at that tenth anniversary party. I want good champagne. Oh, we're gonna get into that because I want all the <laughs> gossip. So, a historic <laughs> Texas hotel installed an old school rotary phone in every room for guests to summon Vuv Clico. Look at that. Oh, fantastic. Yes. Um, this uh, one hotel in Fort Worth, Texas, is celebrating its first birthday with plenty of bubbly and wants to ensure all its guests can get a glass whenever they wish. And so they kicked it off with a partnership with Vuv, and they installed all these fancy phones in all the rooms, and so you can just pick it up whenever you want and get a bottle, probably at a ridiculous price. Um, and whenever you want. And so for the rest of the year, they're pairing with other champagne brands uh, month to month. So to do the same, to celebrate. Isn't that fun? That is fun. And Vuv Clicquot is such a great champagne. And the bottle is orange, one of my favorite colors. Well, and it has a fashion connect as well, does it not? Oh, yes. The Widow Clicquot. The Widow Clicquot. It was founded by... The Vuv is a widow, and if you look on the um, the box, there's a picture of an old hag, and that's the widow Clicquot. But who was it that um, I I forget now? But uh, there's there's a fashion connect because the the label is that orange color because they wanted it the color of egg yolks, the beautiful egg yolks, and I feel like it was someone really connected to the fashion world. That uh, that oh I don't know that that wanted this yes there's a whole there's a whole fashion ah oh, I should have pulled it up and I didn't where are my producers <laughs> <laughs> hold on why is the Vuv Cle uh, orange it should come up right. Mm. Um, it is really distinctive. It is. This is going to take way too long. Yeah, in your mouth, listeners, look it up. There's a whole fashion connect uh, to to the and you know what? Google's your best friend out there, and I'm sure some find it and let us know. Yeah, find it and let us know. But I think we're here for this, right? This is this is a cute little moment mm-hmm. and a, and a really cute way to uh-huh. celebrate celebrate a birthday. I you know what? I wish someone would install a phone in my tiny apartment that I could just pick up and have champagne delivered, you know, whenever I want. Wouldn't that be fabulous? We all need that. Yes. I think we all need it. <laughs> this $15 Velveeta martini is now on the menu at restaurants across the country. You heard right. Ew. <laughs> no. Uh-uh. I don't think I could do that one. Mm-mm. Tommy, I need to inform you that Velveeta has been trying it these days. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. I think I could melt some Velveeta and give myself a facial mask, but that's about it. Oh, my goodness. There was an Oscar Mayer facial mask, like a bologna facial mask. Uh, Oscar Mayer a while ago in Food News paired with some like uh, Korean like face mask company to like 
emulate like the the thing looked like baloney on the face, but it wasn't baloney. Oh. You look like Hannibal Lecter. Oh. It was it was oh a mess. my gosh. But Velveeta, that's horrid. Yes, um, <laughs> Kaylin Allen, whom I love, was on the podcast like uh, two months ago for Pride, and Velveeta had come out with a nail polish that smelled like cheese, and then they tried to start some nonsense on my Instagram with Kaylin Allen, which was oh, which I live for the drama. I live <laughs> for the drama. Of, of course, of course. But now Velveeta is back at it. The Veltini is made with Velveeta cheese sauce infused vodka and garnished with shell pasta and cheese stuffed olives (laughs) i'm not Uh, mad at this actually i am and and maybe you know um that might go with you know a a a you know kind of bloody mary type thing with some cheese and, uh, you know, garnishes like that. I could kind of see it now. Well, we have to start at, are, are you a martini person? Over the past few years, I've become a martini person, and I live for a blue cheese stuffed olive mm. in my martini. Mm-hmm. It makes So this is kind of, this is kind of like leaning towards that, I feel, which is why I feel like I, I can... I can do this, except for, you know, that, that blue cheese provides that little bit of umami to that, like that little, like, oomph, which I don't necessarily know uh-uh. if Velveeta has. Velveeta just has all that salt. Yeah. But I, I feel like this is working, you know? Um, uh, the, the BLT restaurant group uh, released the Velveeta Veltini, billed as an unapologetic, outrageously cheesy spin on a martini. And they serve it from golden hour, for golden hour, 5 p.m. to 8 p.m., at five BLT-owned restaurants across the country, it's a fifteen-dollar cocktail, and wow. it's it's yeah. Um, it combines Velveeta-infused vodka, uh, prepped by literally mixing Velveeta cheese sauce and vodka for at least twenty-four hours before serving. Gross, uh, <laughs> olive brine and vermouth into a martini glass, which is then garnished with a cheese drip and a cocktail pick. Of Velveeta stuffed olives and jumbo Velveeta shells and cheese. I may have to go out and find. You know, this. I could try. I'm, it I now I'm curious. I mean, yeah, we could try that. We could try. Uh, it. We can try. You know what? I'm 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 on the yeah. Fence. After you know, after two of those Velveeta teenies, I think we would probably be happy. We would probably order three. <laughs> I was gonna say this may be one of those one and done because yeah. it may be a lot, yeah. but um. Yeah, you know what? I think we could be here. I think for this. I absolutely think we could be uh, we here for a late a late summer cheese moment, but it can't be in the heat wave because nobody wants all the gooky cheese. It like, you know, in know. in all of this in all of this heat. We're and last heat but wave. not Yes, we're having a heat wave. Um, And last but not least, speaking of the heat, and maybe you have some good insight being from Arkansas. Uh, there's a wildlife group out there that says we're eating too many frog legs. <laughs> a new report, a new report suggests that human consumption of frogs' legs is pushing some species to extinction. Oh, now I don't know about you, but I didn't realize that the consumption of frogs' legs was that was that vast. But then again, we're Americans, so that's not really big here unless like you're in the south Mm, i don't know why it's such a problem frog legs taste like chicken yeah uh so i hear (laughs) i've never had and you know i think the french frog legs are a particular breed of frog so that they get nice big meaty you know frog legs so it's not just such a morsel but I've had them lots of different ways, and I do them lots of different ways, and I know where to get them in Chicago. And um, you know me, I'm such a like black market smuggler of food. I'll find my frog legs. If they come up with they can't get no frog legs, honey, I'm going to grow my frogs right out here on this by my bathtub. I'll feed them. I will make them nice and plump, and I will put out, you know, frog, and I'll make sure he's taken care of in my mama's black cast iron skillet. That's right. That's absolutely right. And that's what these uh, wildlife groups are actually promoting. Um, these groups uh, in Indonesia, uh, oh. Turkey, and where is the and Vietnam to do so? 
because there's something like uh, the shipment is something like around between 814 million to 2 billion frogs are imported to the European Union. And so losing such a large number of frogs every year can have an, a significant impact on the natural environment because, you know, frogs... On the environment, yes. Yeah, frogs eat the insects, and if there's no frogs to eat the insects, then, like, the insects grow, and then there's this whole thing that happens. Yeah. And so they're trying yeah, it to... it throws everything out of whack. Yeah, so they're trying to um, create a sustainable farming for the frogs. But who knew? Who knew? I thought this was... It's really a thing. It was... I think that PETA... And animal rights activists aren't always, you know, um, the favorite topic of chefs because, uh, you know, sometimes some of the gourmet ingredients that we are using, um, there's questionable activity around how they're sourced. But, you know, if you grow it in your own backyard like my mammo did in Arkansas, (laughs) then it belongs to you. Yep. Amen. Amen to that. I mean, well, here's to the frogs for sure. And may we figure out a sustainable solution because apparently frogs' legs are delicious. And for those of you who love them out there. And I think with that, I think that's the best way to end food news update. (laughs) I need you to take that with you all day, right? (laughs) And tell your crew, I was on this crazy podcast and this and this mofo was talking about cheese martinis and frog's legs. Frog legs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I want to get into the master chef of it all. And I want to hear about the drama. Tell me about the best. Give me the gossip. I need the tea. Spill it, Tommy. What's What's been the most dramatic part of the season? Right? Michael Silverstein was just on... Like a couple weeks ago, how do we feel? Give it to me. Spell it, Gert. You're starving school children waiting for you to make some onion rings. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) That's really what it's like. And then the judges, you know, I don't know. Uh, It's a lot of pressure, but it's a lot of fun. And then you get to meet some of the greatest and most talented chefs and home cooks in the country. And it's just an honor to be in the presence of so many wonderful, feel like I'm right at home. Yeah, what was your favorite moment of this season thus far? Because we're still in it. We're still deep in it. My favorite moment? <laughs> That's a, a hard question. Um, I guess, you know, winning a, a team challenge and cooking for 100 Coast Guards. Amazing. I think that was Michael Silverstein's least favorite moment. Yeah. Are you and, are you and he Are you and he friends? Michael and I, uh, no. <laughs> uh. <laughs> I think, I, I think, and I'll just say it like this. My personality is a little bit too fragrant for Michael. Some okay. people like French perfume and some like eau de toilette. Oh. You know, master shade. All tea. Master shade. Master shade. Shady chefs. Shady chefs. (laughs) I live for a feud. I live for a feud. I'm a real housewives queen, so bring it, right? Uh, They call me the... Michael Michael is nice, and, um, you know, but I think I'm just a little bit too... um, Fragrant for yeah, him. Yeah, fragrant, fragrant, you know. Um, the, I, I want to say the Pepe Le Pew effect, but I think we canceled him. <laughs> so, <laughs> and I don't want you to be canceled. Um, oh, my God. Um, favorite, uh, uh, how about this? Uh, favorite and least favorite judge. Oh, I think my favorite is Aron Sanchez. Oh, my God, my favorite. It's hard. Joe. A lot of people thought that, you know, I wouldn't like Joe, but I could make him melt in the palm of my hands with one glance, one deep look in his dark brown eyes. And Joe is actually really sweet, too. So I don't have anything against the judges, and I trust them and adore them all. But, you know, the teddy bear of the threesome is Aron Sanchez. He is so... Sweet. I love him. I love him. I I worked with uh, Chef Aron, um, who I used to call Rockstar Chef back in the day. Yeah. Like almost 
almost 20 years ago now, um, right? When, uh, when Aron Sanchez was svelte, was svelte, honey. She had the body. She had the body, oh. the face, right? Oh. Um, I did, I think I did his wedding I did, or his engagement party. Um, mm-hmm. I served out front of house, managed. Um, I was an events manager back then. Yeah. Um, and I was very, very friendly with him. Rock, that's my rock star chef. Um, and it's been many, many years since I've seen him. Uh, but I, uh, there's always a special place in my heart for him. Um, and I'm so happy he's doing well as well. What's the favorite? What's your most favorite thing that you cooked thus far? On the show? Uh, this season? Yeah. Um, let's see. It's probably something that you didn't see too much of during the vegan challenge. Okay. I did a ratatouille, but I did a ratatouille that's a little bit different. I did ratatouille meridional, which is a southern French, uh, coastal French ratatouille with a lot of lemon because it's hotter in the south of France mm-hmm. than it is up in Paris. And this particular ratatouille is with uh, zucchini and red pepper, tomato, and with uh, yellow squash and capers and a lot of lemon zest and a lot of lemon juice. I did that on a... Uh, cake of uh so that was a dish that you didn't see and it was actually one of the most gorgeous platings uh, that i did this season wow i love it i love that now why isn't that in my apartment right now tommy (laughs) what was um what's the biggest takeaway right before we close out here What's what's been your biggest takeaway from just doing these competition shows and and you know running the gamut of like food mania? It makes you very resilient. It makes you very adaptable, and uh, it it you have to think on your toes. So I think that some of the experiences that we've had in this season and in my Last seasons on MasterChef, cooking on top of a rooftop in Las Vegas, 400 showgirls, uh, cooking on a boat, cooking at a wedding for 100 people, a surprise, cooking for surprise families in the MasterChef kitchen. Uh, You know, it's like cooking on the go, in traffic, in an alley, cooking on a cardboard box stove, with gangbangers in the alley, and three of them are trying to shoot you, and those are the judges. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, right? Who was it Who was it in the early seasons of Drag Race that was like, I'm from the south side of Chicago. I'm from Chicago, bitch. <laughs> Look, see, this is a warning. When you tell somebody you're from the south side, they had better take three steps. Exactly. Exactly. Exactly right, and you've mentioned it a couple times on this podcast. That I'm sitting here, uh, I'm sitting at the very far back of my couch. Okay, <laughs> I, don't, I don't want you coming through the well, screen you know, at me. Well, you know, too, Michael. You know, too. Uh, there's something to be said for being gay mm-hmm. uh, in the '70s and surviving the South Side of Chicago. So, part of my message for young gay people who are growing up in hostile urban environments. When Mother Earth presents you with a lot of pressure and a lot of trials and tribulations and a lot of struggles, that most young people really need to know, and my message to most of my students and all of my young LGBTQ trans kids, is sometimes you need that extra pressure to make you stronger. Because without the pressure of Mother Earth, without the volcanic heat that comes from a piece of coal, it will never turn into a diamond. So you need the pressure, and you can handle the pressure, and you're stronger than you think you are, right? Right? You have to make sure that the kids know that if life is just an easy hopscotch, you will not develop the musculature that you need to be a winner and to survive. And so 
Embrace the pressure. Love your haters. Because if you don't have a hater, you're not doing it right, honey. And your haters identify you. They let you know exactly who you are. Love your haters. All right, come through. Come through, Walter McCollum. Right? Yes. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Everybody put your hands on the screen. Tommy Walton's going to (laughs) testify. Yes, yes, yes. Um, Before we close out, what's next for you, Tommy? Oh, I've got so many things on the horizon. I am actually going to be cooking and uh, speaking at the Mid-America Expo in Columbus on twenty September 25th and 26th. It's going to be a big, big, huge event with all of the country's food professionals and in particular um, people from the Midwest. So I'm going to be doing a couple of my signature recipes over there. And if you uh, tune into the Mid-America Expo mm-hmm. site, you'll find out where I'm going to be and you can come and visit me and uh, see what's cooking. I love that. I love that. Well, I can't thank you enough for being here and just giving me, you know, all of you today. This has been so special, and I'm so honored and so grateful that you are now part of my big gay culinary village. Um, Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Um, give the kids all the handles, all the websites, all the things so they know where to find you and show you all the love. I'm TommyWalton.live across all socials. And uh, find me, follow me, keep posted on my side because I'm always dishing it out. I'm always serving it up. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And maybe we, maybe Tommy will uh, let me share that that photo, uh, the meat photo. But for right now, <laughs> I I personally just need to see the meat photo. <laughs> In your mouth, listeners, um, we are well into August. And if you haven't been to the beach, get there if you can. You know, just get there if you can. I've come full circle. Mm-hmm. And because um, I, I love the beach. Um, mm-hmm. You know, put on your SPF. Uh, if you drink, drink responsibly. Um, and let's close out this summer with a bang folks be safe out there again uh go show tommy all the love at tommywalton.live across all platforms and other than that all i have to say is thank you for listening to in your 